This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. This is Jeremy Roberts on Hawke's Bay Poetry Live, a program broadcast on Wednesday afternoons at 2pm. You can listen on 104.7 FM or 1431 AM or go to the website, search in programs and click play. My very special guest today is Keith Thorson. Keith has written poetry since he was young. He has performed that poetry throughout New Zealand at arts festivals and pubs on the back of trucks and in many secondary schools throughout New Zealand. He published five editions of Sliced Apple, selections of poems written by school students. He has been a truckie, a psychiatric nurse, a Christchurch city flusher, a secondary school teacher, and worked for the Post-Primary Teachers Association. He was Community Arts Advisor in Hastings for over 20 years, based at the Hastings Community Arts Centre. One of his legacies is that Arts Centre, which, along with the late David Fine and others, he raised the money to purchase. The Hawke's Bay Live Poets is also a legacy of which he is proud. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks, Jeremy. So, look, this is um, a great chance to um, hear from you today, and I know there's a lot of uh, listeners out there who are going to enjoy your poems and some of your stories. 30 years ago, you started Hawke's Bay Poetry Live in Hastings. What prompted you to do this? And had you attended live poetry readings in other centres? Yes, I had been involved in a similar event in Auckland called Poetry Live Auckland. Um, a group of us started up after um, Poetry at the Globe pub, which had been run by David Mitchell, um, stopped. So it's, it's a weekly event, and it's still running today, actually. So it's the longest-running one in New Zealand, mm. I think. Now at the Thirsty Dog pub in Karangahape Road. Um, so it actually might have even been moved to the dog's bollocks now. I can't remember. But, I uh, think it's still the thirsty dog. It's still the thirsty yeah, dog, yeah. yeah. I had moved to Hastings to take up the role of community arts advisor at that stage, and I felt there might you know, be support for a similar event here. Um, and the local media ran a story about it, and I was completely overwhelmed by the response uh, to that first trial event. The place was totally packed. And, um, you know, it was clear that this was a goer and mm. uh, the, the publican was really keen too. So we said, yep, let's do it on a monthly basis. We thought weekly would be too much, but on a monthly basis. We'd yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, I know people um, such as Carol Stewart and uh, others, and they recall that first, that first night. Um, so it's, it's going to be fantastic this evening when you are uh, reading and um, meeting everybody again at the Arts Centre. Um, so, yeah, that really took off, didn't it? But what are your key memories of those days at the Cat and Fiddle? Um, well, I, I like the democracy of a pub. It, it meant anyone could turn up and read. 
Um, mm. And you didn't have to be a member of an in-group, if you get what I mean, you know. Yep. And I, I do like that. And on the first night, for example, a guy called Graham Williams from up Gisborne Way turned up because he had read about the event on the paper surrounding his fish and chips that he'd bought, <laughs> <laughs> he'd bought in so Mohaka. So he yep. turned up. And he was good, too, actually. He turned up. Mm. Yeah. So we, I think I think that's one of the things I really liked about it was that it was an open uh, open forum where people yeah. would just turn up, not only to to read but also to listen too. Yes, because uh, the audience is just as an important. Well, it's not quite as important as the readers, but it's a very important part of the evening. Yeah, yeah and it's nice for poets to read. You know, uh, so so often poets are reading to poets, aren't they? It's nice to read to the general public. Yeah. We can probably even talk about that a bit yeah, later. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, and the pub setting was good, you know, the the noise of the pub, the, yep. the cash register going <laughs> or somebody ordering a beer and in the background, isn't it? Um, yeah, 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 it's right. It, it's very different to um, reading in a museum or something yeah, like yeah, that, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah, yeah, And so um, famously you, you had a long list of um, very well-known poets, national poets, who came to Hawke's Bay. Um, what are some of your memories or, you know, who, who came? Have you got any? Yeah, I'll tell you what, when you look back through the, the list of people, people like Bub Bridger, uh, Loris Edmund, Aparana Taylor, Sam Hunt, Vivian Plum, Kate Camp, James Brown, Bill Manhire, Fiona Farrell, Kevin Ireland, Hinemoana Baker... Harry Ricketts, Marty Schofield, who's from here, Glenn Colhoun, Greg O'Brien, Jenny Bornholt, Brian Turner, Selena Tusitala Marsh, C.K. Stead. I mean, the list just goes on. It's a, it's a real roll call of some of our top poets, actually. So it was really great to be able to bring them here to Hawke's Bay because otherwise a lot of um, people who live here would not have had the opportunity mm. to hear those people read. Mm. And I think part of the issue um, about doing these evenings is that you bring these people in and you provide stimulus um, yeah. to the people who are here. Um, and then as a result of that, you get um, people writing poems they might not have other, mm. otherwise written, actually. So and performing great. them. In a, and performing perhaps, them. Perhaps, you know, there's so many different um, styles and voices, aren't there? There are, there yeah. are. And I, I do remember when we first started it up... Um, you know, some of the poets were very nervous about reading in public, uh, but they got better and better, actually. And some of them yeah. were totally transformed. In fact, Carol Stewart was one of them. <laughs> she, <laughs> she hardly said boo to a goose when she started, but yeah. after, by the time that she had read a few times, she was really coming through. Yeah, well, it's a big thing to step up to the open mic. It's like, um, you know, that comedian Jerry Seinfeld had a joke where um, there was some research done and people were more nervous about giving the eulogy at a funeral than being in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly uh, speaking in public is constantly listed as one of the big, biggest fears for yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think having that forum there and and uh, having a supportive atmosphere at the forum um, encouraged people to do something they might not have otherwise have done, actually, and I mm. think that's great. Um, you mentioned Sam Hunt, of course. Mm, that, mm. that must have been a big night. It was a huge night. Um, people were leaning in the windows because we couldn't get everybody inside. It was just mm. totally packed. Yeah, yeah. I suppose nineteen ninety two. So that was probably uh, you know like a mid career peak. That sort of period for Sam Hunt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I was. Uh, Earlier, I had been travelling around New Zealand performing poetry full-time, which is unusual, of course, and, yeah. and Sam was the only other one that was doing it at that mm. time. We occasionally mm. occasionally bumped into each other. So, yeah, and um, it, so it was, it was great to have him there because I do like the way that 
stands taken poetry to the people. Mm, absolutely, uh, you know, so. no, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, talk about poets reading to the to the public, not just a room of of you know twenty poets. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's great. Um, so, would you like to read a poem, Keith? Yeah, all right. Um, I mentioned I mentioned the Globe Pub um, because mm. that was really the first time that I that I really went to a yep. public reading of poetry and. I really loved it, and I kept on going. Um, mm. But one night I went there, and for some reason or other, I don't know whether it was a full moon or something, um, everybody was reading a poem about the moon. And and I didn't have a poem about the moon. <laughs> so I went home and wrote one. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and went back. Oh. <laughs> and this is it, yeah. Okay. It's called Cool Rock Catches Fire. Mm. Hey, Lots of people, lots of people sing about the moon, about that cool rock catches fire. Cool rock catches fire in the big black belly of the night. Cats and car light flare in the night. Green eyes flare in the night. And those slinky sly slippery cats in the night call, call, call in the night. Call to the yellow wild moon. Call with a cry of babies in the night. Meow, meow. Oh, yes, their throats are red and wet in the night and the sound it curls around the blue street lights and everyone says hey the cats are singing to the moon singing to the moon and some say it sounds like jazz some say it sounds like dying and somewhere someone writes another song writes another song about that cool rock catches fire cool rock catches fire hey moon oh what a wonderful opening um yeah your, your delivery you know the rhythm and uh, you know the cadence you're bringing to the words, and it's sort of singing, isn't it? Almost very, very close. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sam Hunt always talked about his poems as being songs, actually. Yes, yeah. And um, I do use a lot of um, performance elements mm. in my poetry. Uh, I, I like the um, I like the business of reading poetry live because when you when you can feel or see how the audience is reacting to it, you, you can see whether it's worked or not. Actually, yeah, and yeah. particularly when you were writing it weekly, which we were in Auckland. Um, that that constant feedback mm. was a really mm. good filter, actually. Oh, great! Mm. Well, you, well, you must have had some positive feedback. Obviously, you know, you I did encouraged yes. and motivated to go. You know, really be serious about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I, I love the uh, the collegial nature of everybody else getting up and having a go alongside yeah. you. <laughs> it was yeah. great. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I, I was in, uh, part of Poetry Live, um, but. You know, it was th- thirsty dog days for me, um, right. and I, I've heard stories about um, the globe. There yes. used to be the odd punch up and whatnot. You know, it was <laughs> quite a quite a fun fun environment. Um, so, Keith, um, just br- just briefly, w- when did you start writing poetry? What what really lit that for you? You said in your biography it was quite young. Yeah, it was about seven or eight that I think that I consciously started to write poems. I mean, I, I I've you know how some people fall in love with numbers? Well, I fell in love with words. And, um, mm. and I liked playing around with them from a really early age. Mm. And uh, so basically I started then. And I'd written ever since. I mean, teachers were encouraging. Um, and then, then I started before, uh, going to those um, live poetry performances and, and, and realised that I really liked performing live. Mm. So mm. They, they grew from there, yeah. Oh, terrific. Um, so yeah, so you you seem like it was just a natural thing, and so did 
Did some of that confidence or the way you um, related to that at such a young age, did that come from a family background? Did you have a musical family or? No, no, no not at all, actually. Mm. School so, teachers, mm? school teachers. Oh yes, there were mm. some some people at school that that were that were great, and um, uh, but I, I I found that when I travelled around um, uh, doing workshops in schools, uh, you could see which kids really mm. got it mm. and and wanted to do it, and and I was one of those kids. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, why don't you give us another one, Keith? Sure. Um, one of the things that I have written quite a number of poems about is um, growing up in a small town, which was mm. Te Oumutu, um, ah. where the Finn brothers come from. Yeah. In fact, the, the, they, um, uh, I, this, uh, there were two families of Finns, and one, their cousin was actually in my school, so mm-hmm. in my class. So yeah. So um, yeah, I'll read this one. Um, this this is about uh, one of those. Um, poems that are written about when I was living in in Taumutu. When I find it, it's all right. It's a very organic show <laughs> here. We can paper shuffling is go- good, all part of it. <laughs> this is called Mary McGregor and Me at the UE Party. Mm. <clears throat> yes, that's a university entrance party for those of you who are a bit younger than me. So yes, Mary McGregor and Me at the UE Party. The sitting room, normally called to order by the floral standard lamp by the settee, was completely dishevelled by the red bulb from Mackenzie's. A must-hair room, a shuck-of-the-shoulder room, a devil-may-dance-on-the-turntable to the do-wa-diddy room. Warm and round and milky, Mary McGregor was there. And Sarah Martin, shorter and sharper and smarter, who wore her dress shorter, her ladders scissored. Mary McGregor and me, on St Andrew's Sunday mornings, our heads bowed, her blonde hair a veil, touching her fingers in the passage of the communion plate, its green cloth and silent coins. I sat there an incendiary in the congregation of blue hats. The diamond head needle sang, When she walks by, she brightens up the neighbourhood, and every guy would make her his, if he just could, if she just would. And Robert said, Mary's giving kisses in the corridor. She was against the fleur-de-lis wall. Bare-faced, our lips rasped. There was a faint taste of sick. But then it was Robert's turn. Sarah smiled at me, put her finger in her mouth and sucked. Stockinged across the porch, slid into the zephyr by the Lawsoniana. Then there were two cigarettes and two taillights. And Robert said, I think she's puked. And I said, yeah thinking how sweet it would have been on a Sunday when we were toothpaste fresh and the sun shone through the Christ window like the ascension come to Alexander Street. And I said to Robert, did she give you French? And he said, nah. (laughs) I've got two questions. 
Are they were they real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were real. And, and where are they now? <laughs> Funny enough, I, um, Mary's not a real name, but uh, okay. I changed it in order to avoid embarrassing her. But um, I, I met them at the only school reunion I've ever been to, actually, and they, both her and Sarah were there. So yes, they still exist. Wow! Oh, good. And, <laughs> and they they've sorry. seen the poem. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I read at that school oh. reunion. That was when I read on the back of a truck. Actually, it was in the it was in the middle of a uh, football field, and people were gathered all around. And so, yeah, though I read that poem, and oh, I, great. I explained to her later it was about her. Oh, that, that was lovely. <laughs> um, Keith, how do you go about writing a poem? Um, I, this is an interesting one. I I always think: um, uh, is there a process or? You know, what works for you? Do you, you know, Lawrence Ferlinghetti once said, compose on the tongue, not the page. Um, but, of course, you've, you know, you've written them down. Yeah, um, yeah. How does it, how does it go? Well, for me, um, first of all, I, I do carry around a notebook <coughs> and, and note things down as they go. In fact, I had a discussion with Raybon Khan about this once, and it turned out we did very similar things. He, he would look for everyday items or things that happened and use it in his comedy routines, and I would do exactly the same in my poetry. So, first of all, it's a matter of noticing uh, things um, and then and then I guess crafting them and turning them into art and I totally agree what Phil and Getty said actually because I often um, almost always actually uh, read my poems out aloud to myself mm. so I can see how the rhythm's going whether whether a particular image or item works um, mm. so yeah uh, yeah yep. okay well that that sounds very um Familiar to me, anyway. Um, yeah, read, reading aloud, it's um, interesting, isn't it, when talking of people bringing poems to open mics, it's not necessarily the final editing process, but you do definitely hear things, don't you? As you, the brain sort of uh, sort of goes to a hyper hypercritical um, view of your own, own voice and lines, and yep. you know when a line isn't quite... Yep. Quite there. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. You, you can really sometimes actually... Edit it on the go. You think, no, that's not going to work. So you change that line. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, would you like to share another one, Keith? Sure. Um, this is an example of, um, first of all, the writing process, but also uh, noticing something and then turning it into a poem. I was in Wellington um, and I saw this guy uh, on stilts um, mm. dancing and he was surrounded by street kids. And um, so, anyway, this is a poem about that. It's called Peopling the Landscape. You ask me what I am doing. This is what I am doing. I'm writing a poem in my head, peopling the landscape. 3.48 on the radio clock, silent. It is a rich congeries. Underneath the rocks and cobblestones dance underneath. On the way to the city limits cafe to buy a fat man burger, I come across in Manor's Mall a rat-faced man in an op-shop suit dancing on stilts on the cobblestones out of which grow young trees, winter bones throwing black pencil nets in blue street light. He turns like a cocking bird and around and around he dances among the nets, among the bones, among the clouds and the mouths of kids in American tracksuits. There is no hat 
It is not for that the pinchy man dances. He is a crazy man. Sticks, stepping, stones, crazy, beautiful. In the blue, blue night, his face shines, opens. It is a gift. Received, going home, I walk among kids, dancing, peg-legged on the cobblestones. A fat man inside me, a shining man clapping. And shell strings are draped on the shoulder of the looking glass, and the red radio readout blips 356. A street light is falling on two small ceramic shoes with blue laces. This is what I am doing. Mm, wow. So that's a beautiful um, piece of narrative poetry, isn't it? And, um, you know, encapsulated you know, by the beginning and the ending. Um, no, that, that's that's terrific. Um, yeah, it sounds like very much you you somebody who who loves life and enjoys enjoys life. Keith gets gets what you can out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, there's so much going on around you. You just uh, yeah. uh, did you just, just stop and look and listen, and there it is. Mm. <laughs> are you are you connected very much to the cell phone screen world? Do you do do you no, you not really. to avoid being sucked into, you know, computer land? Oh, no, I, I mean, like many people, yeah. I will certainly use my cell phone quite frequently. Yeah. Um, and I do obviously follow up news stories. Um, but um, I, in terms of um, how I, my poetry evolves, uh, that might start as something that I've picked up, and, but then I mm. leave that behind. And yeah. I'll usually write my stuff first by hand. And okay. then, yeah. and then, um, because there seems to be a more direct connection between the brain and the hand when you're writing. I've heard that said. Yeah, yep, indeed. I, I, I then, indeed. I then edit it um, on the computer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Great. Keith, which poets do you admire the most? Is a bit of a grand question, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, the person that really, I suppose, really turned me on to poetry um, was Dylan Thomas. I mean, I, mm. I, I, I just loved... First yeah. of all, I, I loved the richness of his best poetry. I mean, not all of his poetry works, but um, but some of it's great. And yeah. so um, uh, he, he was one of the first ones. Um, and then there were there are lots of others that... I, that I, I mean, Ginsberg was, you know, a real shock to read after having um, read polite <coughs> English poetry. Words uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, I think that yeah. that I enjoyed him too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just doors were open, weren't they, in the 50s, really, when, uh, speaking of feeling getty, he, he, his mission was to get, get it off the, the dusty old pages and the old presses and out into the streets or, you know, out out in front of a live audience, actually. Yeah, and, and of course, he was very much involved in that trial about Ginsburg's howl. That's right, and, yes. Uh, so, yeah, and I'm, that beat part generation, I think, was great. And, uh, I mean, some of it was rubbish, but um, some of it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah. And it did open my mind up to the... F- I think it was that as much as any that opened my mind up to the fact that, that you can see poetry in the everyday. Ah, uh, 
Yes, that's right. Everyday things, not 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 grand sort of um, conceits or no, anything. No, no, um, exactly. And then of the New Zealand poets, I mean, yeah. I, I like many, but uh, I like Brian Turner. I like um, oh, his his turn of phrase. And Fiona Farrell, I like her. Glenn Colhoun, I really like Glenn. Glenn's another <coughs> one who performs very well, I think, and um, mm. and I like that about him. Jenny Bornholt, I really like um, mm. her particularities. Bill Manhire, of course. Uh, Hone Tufari was wonderful. You know, I, I brought him here for another event, actually. He didn't ever guess that, um, the mm. live parts, but he was here for another event. He was okay. great. Mm. yeah. And Silla McQueen as well, I liked her too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so another one for you. What what role do you think, you've sort of touched on this quite a mm. lot already, actually. What role do you think poetry plays in the community? Yeah, well, I think traditionally the bardic tradition is really the carrier of tales, you know, the, the protector of history and culture, as well as being a good way to spend a night in front of a fire, of course. But um, poetry can also be a rallying call for political change. Um, the war poets, for example, Rolf, yep. Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon, Yeats uh, writing about the Easter... 1916 uprising and um, and more modern ones like Adrian Rich and Maya Angelou, uh, they, they all spring to mind. And Hone Tufari's No Ordinary mm. Son, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it, um, that it can happen. I mean, Shelley once called poets the unacknowledged legislators of the world, while Odin insisted poetry makes nothing happen. So take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that I mean, that, that, that's right. I mean... Um, there is many variations of opinion among poets as yeah, there are in there the, are. whatever yes. segment of society, yes. aren't, aren't there, actually? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, well, would you like to share another one? Let's have well, another I'd, one, eh? Okay. Um, this one is about my mother, actually. I think I'll do that. Um, it was, And it's actually um, written about here when, when I was living here. Mm. It's called Hanging Out. Hanging out, washing on the hill, above gums, in the sluggish simmer of a drought summer, the satisfaction of just enough pegs, lifting me to my mother on the wetter side of the island, turning the line, lichen on the wooden arms, rust on the wires, a lifetime of raising cloths, children, talking about others on the black phone and in the dim sitting room to the clink of china. God was her only ecstasy, because generally life was a bit of a worry. Things turned sour with too much rain, and I wonder if, after we dug the hole and lowered her, he too turned out to be a disappointment. As for now, there is sun on my shoulders, the rohene are a denim seam under a sky we cannot avoid. I am raising my arms and stooping. In this slow way, I could be praying. Mm. Oh, that's a beautiful poem, Keith. Um, your mum, yeah. I, I recently wrote one for my mum, who, who who recently passed away. And, ah. um, you know, I, I like the way you talked about the black phone and you know it's it's an era it's that that's what i did i i i had i reached back just immediately to um the edmunds cookbook and oh, and yes. the fact that she was at secondary school they had um the girls had lessons on how to get the house ready for for dad when he came home absolutely yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happened <laughs> 
Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Crikey. Um, look, I was going to ask you about your own poetry again, how how you sort of would describe it. But really, that's all you've been doing since you've sat down. So we, <laughs> we probably don't need to even go there, I think. Right. Um, but I will ask, and, and you've touched on this previously already, but mm. about informing or educating audiences that I think poetry, you'd probably agree poetry can definitely make people think. Yeah. Um, what, you know, do you think... Um, do you think it really can do that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I myself avoid um, didactic poems, mm. and both writing them or reading them, um, and I write few political poems myself. But, yeah, I do believe that poetry can change. And, I, and I've already mentioned, for example, Owens and Sassoon. I think they definitely changed mm. some people's, not everybody's, obviously, but some people's perception of the horrors of war. Mm. And I think Adrian Rich, for example, has done the same for, perception of women's experience in America. So I, I do think that, that, that they can and do mm-hmm. and often have in the past. Um, but some poets like writing that sort of thing. Others um, tend to do uh, other things, and I'm one of the others mostly. I mostly write with performance in, in, in mind mm-hmm. and, uh, and that the subjects I'm doing are mostly about everyday things in life. I occasionally do touch on other on bigger events and bigger causes but mostly it's it's the other way yeah yeah okay um well have you got another one for us yeah okay um i'll do this one next um this is called dancing in the aisle ah and um i wrote this i was living on a north of of Christchurch at the time on on the plains and just past the Waimakariri River and there was a little church there, a little country church and um, in those days of course the churches were always open and um, so you could walk in and mm. so I did walk in and the sun was shining through these stained glass windows so I just went down the middle of the aisle and started dancing. Oh, <laughs> good on you. And this is, this is a poem about that, it's called yep. Dancing in the Aisle. The lemon sun had bleached the blue from the hydrangeas. The bell was asleep at the tower. I crossed the mushrooms wild around the headstones. The church swung open at the hinges. There was a riot in the nave, a raging of the sun through stained glass Golgotha. The lemon light boomed, blew hydrangeas off the hymnboard, scattered violets at the altar, rolled clover down the aisle. Wild cries of wind rippling through my willow bones. I whirled, arms flying up the elbows. Ecstasy, profane and holy, touch my waist here and here. Pour down my throat till I blaze with lights loosening, till I speak the tongue of cobwebs in the morning. And when I can truly float, let's dance up there where the dust drifts like fireworks mm. <laughs> um, I heard somebody who was at that first night in Hastings talk about you and a poem is it possible that was the poem did you do that poem yes I did do that poem on the opening night here we yeah. go 30 years ago yeah. <laughs> and it's travelled through all these decades it, 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 lives, it lives in the minds of, of well it's nice there. to hear yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I do think it's one of my better poems. Um, I, I like um, the elements of it. I like yeah. the, the imagery. I like um, uh, some of the expressions. So, yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. Oh, that's <laughs> great. I mean, are you still um, are you writing poetry um, these days? What sort of level are you? Yeah, I'm not writing as much, I will admit mm. that. Um, uh, and it's been quite good, actually, being asked back to do this because it's created a bit of a stimulus. So, ah. uh, so I okay. might start writing more now. Yeah. Um, because I, I think one of the things, and I think you quoted somebody once about saying, uh, I think it was Fiona Farrell saying, um, being a poet is being alive. That's and, right. And, Elizabeth Smither. Uh, Elizabeth that's Smither, right. that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. She'd probably say the same thing, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I agree with that. Um, mm. I, I think that um, when you're in the flow of writing, um, yeah. you are more alive than you might be otherwise because you're very alert to things yeah. that are going on around you and then you're taking them in and using the creative impulse <clears throat> to create create art out of it. So I think that's a, yeah. an exhilarating feeling, particularly if it works. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be interrupted. I mean, famously, Sam Hunt... Honi Tafari, um, I've I've seen quotes from them where or or people saying, "Oh, look, you just don't go around unannounced and knock on the door, because you you might be disturbing." You know, yeah, like just, yeah, yeah. Just, um, I mean, I I, I I that's certainly true. I agree with that. I mean, I think once you're in the swing of things, you yeah. don't want to be interrupted. Um, the <laughs> other thing that that I would make the comment about is that um, I often do write one, and when I'm in that stage when I'm half awake, half asleep. Ah, because yep. because your brain works differently uh, when you're mm-hmm. in that in, mm-hmm. when you're in that space, and um, often I will have a notebook and I'll write stuff down, uh, you know, sort of in that in that state. Yeah, and, and sometimes when I wake up in the morning, it's absolute gibberish, uh, but other times it's something that I might not have otherwise captured. So um, I yes. think that's something yes. that, that I've always done. Yes, yeah. you don't should never go to sleep thinking oh, I'll remember that. <laughs> no, no, no. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit disturbing, you know, for your partner. But um, you sort of, sort of, yeah. I don't actually switch the light on. I usually just oh, okay. write it down. Write it down. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> know oh, that's good. Yeah, poetry is a way of being alive. And um, uh, that great American writer, what did she? She said something about life as a as a, poetry is like a basket, and you put your life into the basket. You know, there's different ways. Yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah. Of uh, Mary, uh, Mary's. Uh, It'll come back to me. Maya Angelou, was it? No. No, no. no. Um, no. but anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. Let's, so I'll throw another quote at you, yeah. um, which is quite an interesting one, um, but it's, it's from a famous music writer, Greil Marcus, who actually he's written about all sorts of things, not right. just music, but he once said that real artists know things that other people don't. And then I think he got a whole lot of feedback on that, and he sort of <laughs> modified it and said, well, I hadn't, didn't have time to really fully explain it, but... <laughs> But do you do you think poets have insights into the world and humanity that other other people don't, or are they just articulating what everyone knows and feels? Sort of like when Bob Dylan came along in in the, in sixty three, four, five, and suddenly articulated things that people were trying to had been trying to say for years and yeah. did it so beautifully. Mm, mm. Anyway, over to you. Well, I do think that that poets um, like photographers for example, and painters, um, they tend to have a heightened 
perception of things around them, and I've always already touched on that, and and then you transform it into the art. But I don't believe in the idea that that there are different types of beings. You know, that um, I, I think that a, a little bit like athletes exercising their muscles, um, uh, poets. By continually doing what they do, uh, they get better at it mm-hmm. and and more observant. Um, and uh, so I think in that sense, I think yeah, uh, I think there is heightened perception. But I definitely don't think that you know believe in the classical idea of some godlike being that is different yeah. from other people. No, I don't believe in that. Yeah, well, it, may, it reminds me of when I was sort of you know teenager, and and you'd look at pe- people like um, you know Mick Jagger or. Bob Dylan, right. or those sort of people, you think that they, they just had, they were, they were just sort of superhuman. But now I look at them and I think, no, no, they, no, they weren't. They, they had, a, a, they're just able to channel, aren't yeah. they? And the yeah. creative souls. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the other thing about them, and they're two good examples actually, is that um, they are, they are dedicated to it. Yeah. Um, so they spend a whole lifetime doing it. Whereas some people might come and go. Mm. Um, if you get the, the people who are who are um, Im- impassioned by it, um, then and I think that you can see that in the people who are doing it all the time and for a long time. Yeah. Well, the the artist David Hockney once said that inspiration doesn't visit the lazy. So <laughs> I, I suppose you can could have fluke it a few times, can't you? But, yeah. But you won't be able to do that forever. You'll have to put the the graft in as well, I think. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think that's very true. Yeah. And I, I mean, any writer will tell you, and I'm sure you feel, uh, find this yourself, is that even if you're not feeling like it particularly, if you sit down and you start writing, the first bit might be rubbish, but then mm. some, something can click on in the brain, yeah. and and then then you can start getting better stuff. So, yeah. and, but you've got to give yourself that time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Would you like to read another poem, Keith? Sure. Um, this one here, um, I don't know if you remember um, when uh, those annoying ads that are on uh, came into place, you know, but there's more, that sort of thing. And, um, yes, yeah. well, but wait, I there's more, that's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, this, <laughs> this is partly about that. Okay. It, it was um, Suzanne who actually introduced them, and there, there was a thing called a Suzanne clip, um, which I think you used in your hair, but she, there was one oh, of those things she was okay. pushing right now. Okay. But it, this is about words, <clears throat> the words being, of course, um, what I work with. Words. Words. Words, 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 worth. What are words worth? They are worth, worth, life, death. The whole shebang from your first mummy to say your last goodbye to tie happy. Your cash key passport are words, 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 words of love so soft and tender. Words of rage that rips your face asunder. Words, 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 words. So phone now on 800, 800, 800 and for a year's supply of fresh words. Nouns, verbs, prepositions, pronouns, participles, accusatives, transitives, infinitives. They're all here in one bound volume. Wait, there's more. You'll also get for free. Two polite conversations, three lame excuses, four heated arguments, and for those embarrassing moments, if you phone within the next half hour, you'll get one Suzanne clip to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) 
Yeah, taking the mickey out of out of our um, the world of advertising, and uh, that's great. I mean, I, I've heard um, uh, some other poets write about you know the, the use of words. You know, yes. my my, um, my simile is going to beat up on your assonance or something. You know, yeah, like yeah. Shane Hollands did once something yeah, like that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's fun, isn't it? Um, I mean, I suppose that's a good example of a um, poem. That you could, um, I mean, it would appeal to um, secondary school kids, you know, doing that in front of them, wouldn't it? Get, yeah, get yeah. them going. Um, yeah. But a poem that, if you're not, if you're not really feeling it deep, deep down in the heart, to write something powerful and you know meaningful, <laughs> there's still there's still a lot of fun to be had and and a lot of creative skill to put something like that together. Yeah, I, I think that's very, uh, That's a good point you're making there, actually. Um, you should occasionally have just have fun, yeah. And um, and I mean, there, there was a target there. You know, those ads mm. do do mm. Um, annoy me immensely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that um, just the joy of words and just mm. um, you know playing with them is great. Mm. Yeah, sure. Mm. Um, Keith, where do you think poetry sits on the creative arts ladder? Oh, I don't. I don't have a, um, a hierarchy or anything. But, mm. but I mean, I do love other forms of of art. I mean, uh, I particularly like music. And you mentioned Dylan, of course. But um, you know, Tom Waits is one of my favourites. Right. I, I think I tend, and the, both of those are examples, because I'm a poet. I think I tend to like um, music that's got the words up front. Okay. Particularly if they're good words, mm. and uh, Tom Waits in particular, I think has written some brilliant stuff actually. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I mean, I like a lot of other stuff too. I like the Ink Spots, for example. <laughs> they're fantastic voices, you know. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I like some more modern stuff. But um, uh, and then um, I've always loved painting as well. Um, mm. I'm not not myself, but I can't paint for peanuts. But um, but I do enjoy good good art. In fact, I went and saw quite a powerful exhibition today over at the. At the exhibition centre in Hastings here. Um, okay. Yeah, about the state of the world, I suppose. Mm. And yeah, well worth seeing. Actually, um, she's a good, good artist. Mm. Lives yeah. in lives somewhere up north, somewhere I think. Mm. That's the Russell Street Community yeah. Arts Centre. We we. No, 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 no. This no. is this is the one. I, it's got a new name now, but oh. it, it, it was the, it used to be called the Hawkes Bay Exhibition Centre. It's by the library. Oh yes, yes yeah, yeah. By the library. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so you're obviously interested in in, in other arts, mm. and um, I mean, do you you what what do you paint? What have you? No, I don't paint. Oh, no, no, interested I, in painting as yeah. a okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any other creative outlets? Oh, I play the guitar a bit. Right, not very well. Uh, <laughs> but you you enjoy you enjoy doing that. Yeah, know? I enjoy doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, although as I'm getting older, my fingers are getting a little bit less flexible. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess guess it's that thing, isn't it? Like writing. If, yeah. if you're serious about the guitar, you'll do thousands of hours. Yeah. Exactly. I know exactly. My daughter, daughter's like exactly. That. Um, would you like to read another one, Keith? Yeah, I'll, I'll have time for one more. Have we? Yeah. Yeah, we've got about ten minutes oh, yeah, okay. left. Right, actually, yeah, sure. Um, this is this mm-hmm. is um, a poem, a, a, a series of memories about growing up, um, mm-hmm. at, mo- mostly at school, actually called X-Ray. Cross-legged and jug-eared in the grey photos, below Mrs. Aitchison's elbow, she in a cardigan, the rustle bristle of chestnuts in the dust, the scold of cocoa at playtime, 
Patsy in a pinafore before she got breasts, Keith Jackson after the harvester cut off his legs, Mrs King, the headmistress, growing huger term by term in a front of a map of Mesopotamia, Mr Judd, short skid of muscle, thrashing us at padder tennis before he married Miss Quint, the sewing teacher, who looked like Marilyn Monroe, but I never learnt to wolf whistle properly, slide me through this tunnel, burn me on to film, and for a soundtrack, play my father's gentle laugh in a lounge of robust relatives, play Mr Moore, my Latin teacher, fifty and single, reliving the conquest of Gaul, growing smaller each term in front of a map of the Roman Empire, and play the sound of the Baker brothers' bare feet, whispering violence up College Hill, satchels slapping their cotton backs, their hard knuckles, desperate strides distant as I reach the lemon trees and camellia safety of my street. Mm. Oh, that's, that's a lovely um, memory piece. Um, yeah. What secondary school did you go to, Keith? Teomuta College. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, isn't that a wonderful example of how poetry can... Um, it's sort of like a personal history, but it also speaks probably to other people's personal histories. You know, it's, yeah. it's got a broader appeal, but, but key little key memories. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the really important things about writing poetry is what I, um, is that what I call the shining details. When you, when you get a, a particular or a particularity that, that you, you know is true to you mm. and, and you, you know also that it'll be true to others, um, that they will resonate with what yeah. you put down on the page. And Universal sort of a thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I must say that poem is also in Seasons Voices. Ah, it is which, indeed. <laughs> um, is the new collection from Hawke's Bay Live Poets, um, their 30-year anthology, and Keith has published in this. Um, and in fact, it's being launched an hour or two from our conversation Today it is. Um, mm. So that's great. I'll, I've got a I've got a copy, Keith, of that poem to read again. Oh, that's, great! That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's um, gosh, what a what a poetic journey you've had. It's an, it's incredible, really. Um, personally, I I'm, I really admire the way you've you've gone out and taken poetry into the you know beyond your own horizons and into, into others. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I. I have enjoyed doing that, and I mean, I was at it full time for about five years, mm. um, uh, traveling around New Zealand. Um, the mainstay was secondary schools, and you right. did you did have to have a mix of entertainment as, uh, in in those situations, and a, a school hall full of fourth form boys mm. or something. Right, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But yeah, no, that was that was good fun, and and it was also really neat to come across some young poets in schools right. who, who, I mean, I, that, that um, anthology that I published um, called Sliced Apple, yeah. the actual term came from one of the poems that a young uh, guy had written. Okay. He talked about walking through a morning that was fresh as sliced apple. And I thought, wow, yeah, this kid's got it. You know, he's four, he was 14 years yeah, old. <laughs> that's good. Is that, um, was that distributed nationally, that, that, those it, collections, or was, is it it's probably in the National Library, I presume, is it? It is in the National Library, where, incidentally, I did work for a while. But um, mm. uh, the, um, 
it was mainly to, sold directly to schools. Okay. I, I, I produced them and I sold them directly to schools. So there's probably a few copies out there in some of the libraries still, yeah, I would expect. It could be in some of the schools, yeah. yeah they, they, it was a paperback, and so you know, okay. it wasn't the, the most robust book yeah. that was ever done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, just a couple of um, little things. What Do you think poems are finished or abandoned? <laughs> That's a very good question, actually. Um, I, I think that you can always revisit a poem. Mm. And um, and hopefully improve it. Um, you've yeah. got to be careful because you have to put yourself back into the position that you were in when you wrote it mm. as much as you can um, to see whether what you're thinking now is actually consistent with what you were yeah. thinking then. But I do, uh, yeah, I'm quite happy to look at, and uh, look at my poems as works in progress. Yeah. Well, Hani Tufari famously did revise, didn't he? He did, and, yeah. and also um, the great American poet Robert Graves. Yep. Yeah. 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 Completely revised some yes. of his work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why not? It's his. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, we've got about five or or minutes left. Yep. Sure. We've got time for another one, have we? All right. Yeah. All right. There? Sure. Yeah. Or a couple, a couple of poems, perhaps. You've been listening to Radio Hawke's Bay on 104.7 FM or 14.31 AM or perhaps you're even listening online. Um, This poem I wrote when I was in um, Tikawiti and it's it's called Down on the Valley and it starts out with that song Down on the Valley because Tikawiti is in a valley (laughs) Um, and it's also about a friend of mine. Mm. who lived there down in the valley valley so low hang your head over hear the wind blow night fades in its damp black skin oozing river riders shiver up yellow windings where windows gutter Women glance at clocks and mutter as men rise out of the fog, their eyebrows slick. At the Waitomo Working Men's Club, the big blokes shrug, shoulder and nudge. Remember? Frozen stiff the ankles rang like bells every time we booted at Nichols' mum, roaring like a stuck pig and bloody pew-pew cheating pack of hooers. His foot was out a mile, out a mile. Street lamps soak into the fog. A blue slick drifts throat high from the pie cart. Kids tumbled in the pool room doorway, draw breath in bloom cigarettes. At the Waitomo Working Men's Club, at the teacher's table, McVinnie has put his teeth in his glass again, and Catchpole, gentle sloshed Simon, sucks in his chuckles till they turn to coughs. A bad winter for Catch in the limestone. His back to the wall where they hang large all blacks. He says the South African shouldn't tour. The big blokes just drop him. His wife, sick of sodden Saturdays, moves his collection of antique typeset. He moves to the Aero Club. Rolling home one valley night, his blood is suddenly on a chrome truck. 
a boy he taught the din of words, looks up from serving petrol, sees catch taken out next to the town's welcome sign. The big blokes shuffle a bit and talk awkwardly. The rain drifts in from the lime. Even on a fine day you can smell the damp in the trees and the railway houses drip moss. In the dark the town swims in mist, roofs poking out like wrecks. Nights fold in around cold, wet skin. Men shiver past railway sidings, hunch their coats up silent windings, fall asleep with open mouth in a grey blanket bed, in a drowning house. Mm. Wow, that's, that is a, a beautiful Kiwi poem, Keith. You know, that's um, Aotearoa, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> so many things to me were familiar, and, and they will be, be to others, of course. Um, yeah, it's, no, and, and sitting here watching you read, I, it's almost like you have got a room full of people, actually, <laughs> the way you're reading. Um, your singing voice. Now you're you're a pretty good singer, and I wondered, did you ever sing in a, in bands or groups or anything? Um, no, I've never sung in, <clears throat> in bands. I have. Um, I used to be a part of the um, f- um, what was it called the the folk singing club in Christchurch um, ah. um, at one stage, but um, I'd sing quite a lot of unaccompanied stuff. Um, like the Like Whack Dirge, for example, which um, I think it's a great song. But um, <clears throat> So I have done a bit of singing, mm, um, mm. but not so much in bands. Um, I can't read music, and um, I, I find it difficult. when I have tried to sing with a band occasionally, and, and I, I just find it quite hard, yeah. you know, because they all know what they're doing and oh. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, I mean, you, you, do, you do have a good voice, so it's, it's no wonder you bring... Um, real song in, into your into your poems so why not um gosh so okay so is any of your work available anywhere or um would it, online perhaps or, or no. as I said maybe at the library or not or not no i don't think it is at the moment i'm um, i'm completely out of print uh, which in a way is okay actually because yeah the, I, I always wrote for poem performance anyway so i don't mind hearing uh, people hearing it through performance rather than reading it on a page, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've obviously got copies of your work. Do, you, do yeah. you think one day you'll put an anthology together? Would you Would you go that far and print a, an ad- edition of your favourite poems or something? Well, it's interesting. Um, what I used to do when I was travelling in schools, I would print um, copies of my own, uh, my own poems, and I think I'm about the fourth edition now. And rather like a poem, it was, the book was a... A, a thing in progress I'd say oh okay. yeah I don't yeah. particularly like that poem anymore so I'd get rid of that one and I'd bring another one in yeah. there. so so the four editions actually aren't completely new uh, editions they are, they are new mixtures of poems okay. and I've got a few of them left but the, um, no I haven't really gone down the publishing route actually I, I have been I've been in a couple of anthologies um, uh, but um, mostly I haven't um, yeah. gone that way mm. okay mm. alright um, well look it's we've got about a minute minute left i suppose but mm. i just want to say um thank you so much for coming in today it's it's been been great having you here mm. and i know our listeners will enjoy and haven't have enjoyed listening to it um yeah so look all the best mm, i thank you personally i'm looking forward to seeing you 
read tonight. It'll be oh, it'll you be can, great. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it too. And um, hopefully we'll have um, quite a few people from past times there. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.